Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Tina Horn, and this is Interrobang. Interrobang is the bonus segment of my Wire People Into That podcast. Follow at Tina Horn Sass or at Tina Horn's Sass if you're nasty. On Twitter and Instagram, visit wirepeopleintothat.com. Support my show and get extra shit at patreon.com slash Tina Horn. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N. Hey, Evian, how are you? I'm good. Really hot, but good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I'm great. Um, yeah, so you're in Portland, Oregon. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, um, you've got that West Coast early autumn heat wave going on. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty horrendous. I'm not enjoying it at all, but I'm looking forward to it being over soon. <laughs> are you, are you not uh, like a heat person? You know, it's so funny. I actually grew up in the desert in mm. Southern California, so I should, I should be uh, more used to this. I think moving up to the Pacific Northwest kind of turned me into a bit of a sissy. Like, um, <laughs> I think the nine months of, of rain and coolness and dampness just made me very sensitive to the heat. So yeah, now I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't stand this hot weather. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty hard, but we're making it. <laughs> well, I'm sure that you are wearing lots of sweaty clothes and just like making mm-hmm. it, making it work for yourself. I'm trying but to the best of my ability. I'm trying. <laughs> so Evian Whitney is a sex coach and um, the, the author and entrepreneur behind Sex Love Liberation, which is both the name of your blog and the name of your sex coaching practice. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. And she also is the erstwhile host of one of my favorite sexuality podcasts, The Sexually Liberated Woman, which is unfortunately on hiatus right now, but I'm not as sad about it now that I've talked to you about it a little bit as I was before, because I thought that maybe it was like over for good, but now I'm feeling like I'm getting the inside (laughs) scoop that like hiatus is more accurate. Yes. Hiatus is definitely more accurate. You know, like podcasts are great. They're amazing, but they're not easy to do. And I've been doing this podcast all by myself from the beginning. And so right now I'm in the stages of trying to find folks who can help me with this because I can't do everything. <laughs> the Virgo that I am hates to admit that, but I can't oh, I do everything. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so my, my plan is to have it 
up and running as soon as I possibly can. And I mean, that could be a month from now, that could be six months from now, but it's definitely coming back. I just don't know when. Well, as a one man band podcasting Virgo, I respect your uh, decision to practice self-care, which I know is a really big uh, part of your practice and a lot of what I have heard you talk about on the podcast and what I see on your very lovely Instagram a lot. I applaud you. And also, I want your overachieving uh, nature to kick back into gear (laughs) ASAP because I really do love that show. Um, uh, Thank you. It's it's comments like that that like make me want to get off my ass like much more like sooner so that I can get get it going. Do you want to say where people can get at you on the internet before we go any further? Yeah. So uh, the best way to reach me these days is via Instagram. I'm at Evian period Whitney. My name is spelled E-V-Y-A-N period and then Whitney. And then my blog is sexloveliberation.com. And I mean, you can click the contact button and figure out how to find me there um, via email and Facebook and things like that. I mean, the impression that I got is that part of the reason that you're taking a hiatus from your podcast is that your sex coaching business is really popping. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really feel like I was chosen to do this job because I was not in any way, shape or form ready to kind of do this work. I was, uh, it was right after I put my blog on the internet for the first time. And I started getting a whole bunch of people within about six months of me publishing my very first articles, asking me like, when are you going to teach? When are you going to host workshops? Um, how can I work with you? And I was looking at these, uh, these emails and thinking like, how on earth would these people want to work with me? I'm like, I'm such a noob. Like I have my own sexual hangups and my own issues that I'm still working with, I was just, I was puzzled that people would uh, trust me enough and, and think me an expert enough to, to potentially work, um, work with them. And so I kind of like put it on the back burner and I kept turning people down. And then after I'd say maybe a year, year and a half, um, I really started to take into consideration, like, what would it look like for me to do this work? Like maybe there is more to me than what I actually think. Like maybe I have way more wisdom, um, way more experience than I think. And so I initially set up a beta version of my coaching program where I charged like, I don't know, $10 a session. It was like super duper cheap. And I told myself like, I'm going to do this for a month. And if I enjoy it, then I'll keep doing it. I'll raise my prices and then I'll like make this a thing. If I don't enjoy it, then like I'll shelve the whole idea and I'll continue writing and figure out what the hell I'm going to do with my life. Cause at that time I didn't know. Um, and so I ended up really enjoying being in session with, with clients and being able to guide them through, um, their experiences and through their explorations about, you know, sexual desire and pleasure and sexual awakening, which is so much a part of my own journey. So um, that's kind of how I got started. And it really just picked up from there. Well, I'm so glad that you pushed through your imposter syndrome to (laughs) realize your calling. I'm curious, 
what are some of the philosophies about sexuality that you bring to your practice? Mm. Well, the first thing that I try to bring into every session and not even just the sessions that I do, but every piece of work that I put out, whether that's an article or a podcast episode is that I'm not an expert. Mm. Um, I, I really want people, I don't want people to put me on a pedestal. I don't want people to call me a sexpert. <laughs> I don't want people to call me a guru. Um, because the reality is that I'm not, I mean, mm. I'm still learning right alongside my clients and I make that very, um, transparent whenever I'm working with them. And I feel really kind of, uh, wary of people who say that they're experts in sexuality or experts on sexual liberation, um, especially if they've only been doing it for a handful of years. And, and like I have, like, I feel like I don't have the jurisdiction to say that I'm an expert with anything because of um, how early I still am in my journey. And I mean, of course, I'm a lot further along in my, my journey than most folks. And so, and I think from that place is where I can um, help people, teach people, coach people. Uh, but beyond that, I really like meeting my clients where they are and like being at like eye level with them. I don't like being put on a pedestal or being seen as like, oh, Evian is the, she's the goal. Like that's the person that I need to become. Like I want us both to be walking this journey like parallel, not like one on top of the other. Well, I love that. And the thing that I think is really powerful about that is when we learn from people who position themselves as gatekeepers or as gurus, like what I'm teaching is how to become more like me, then there's mm -hmm. always going to be a sense of lack or of failure because right. people, because that's actually totally made up. And mm -hmm. so people are always going to be striving for some sort of nirvana or some sort of, you know, like arriving at, uh, you know, perfect liberation um, that, that is not, yeah, that is, uh, that is a myth. And so in not right. perpetuating that, you are maybe, you know, from the beginning, reminding people that they're already enough. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the truth is that, like, there's already so much of that already. I mean, yeah. there's already so many experts and gurus and um, tantric masters. I mean, we already have those things. And like, if people really want to learn from those people, I mean, they have so many resources. And there's, I mean, all these people are available to them. I think there's something very refreshing about someone saying like, I'm not an expert. Um, I teach or I, I learn by teaching. And it's, it's really important that we are on like the same playing field because it's true. You know, like I, I am still learning about who I am as a sexual being, just as my clients are still learning about who they are as sexual beings. And so I think, I think it's, it's refreshing and it's, um, and it, it creates a really great environment for people to be curious and explore because I think the, the curiosity can get quelled by um, feeling like it has to be perfect or they have to arrive at a particular destination where they're having multiple orgasms mm. every single time they're having sex. You know, like I like this idea that we can just show up as we are 
And, and that in itself is part of my own liberation practice. Cool. Is there a topic that you really want to cover on your podcast when you come back from hiatus? Like maybe something that you were always meaning to get to or yearning to get to that you haven't yet that we can maybe look forward to? Yeah. So I actually, a few days ago, I uh, posted on Instagram asking people what they would like to hear potentially in a future episode um, on my podcast. And I was given so much inspiration because I think one of the reasons why I took this, uh, this hiatus is because I started to feel like I was running out of ideas, Mm -hmm. not just ideas, but also just steam. I think I'd been doing it for for over a year by myself and it was just getting really, really exhausting. And at that point I was like, I feel like I've talked about everything and everything that I haven't talked about. I mean, there's hundreds of sex podcasts out there. They can just go listen to those. Um, so it was really cool for me to like post this question and have people respond and say like, Oh, talk about this. And it just like gave me a whole bunch of ideas. Um, so one thing that I'm really curious about is like sexual liberation in older women or older, oh, like awesome. in older generations. Um, I feel like, you know, they, there's so much about our own sexual liberation journeys that we need to kind of credit to the older generation. Cause they were the ones that like did all that hard work <laughs> um, before us so that we could get to this point where we can say like, you know, the things that we say and believe the things that we believe about sex and feminism and, um, and body positivity and things like that. So I would really love to, to kind of expand on the episode I did with my mom, where I interviewed her about how she was growing up. And then, you know, at the end of that conversation, we started talking about who she is today in in her fifties as a sexually liberated woman. I would love to pose that question to more 40 something, 50 something, 60 something, um, women and femmes about their journeys. I think that I would learn so much from from them. And I think my listeners would also learn a lot from that too. Um, The other thing, yeah, yeah. I I just think it's important. You know, I think, I think it's important to like respect our elders and, Mm. (laughs) and, you know, listen to their stories. I mean, they have so much wisdom to, to share. And then, you know, the truth is that like, there's a lot of older folks out there who still aren't sexually liberated. And um, right. what does that look like? Like, what is the, the process of, of coming into sexual liberation after you've raised kids? Like, what does that look like? I'm very curious about that. Yeah, um, and definitely also, particularly for older women, they are not given a space to understand their sexuality or their sex or you know what sexuality they might have is treated as a joke or treated as you know just uh, not you know just dismissed giving older folks uh, particularly older women and queers the space to express themselves and talk about what sexuality looks like in their changing bodies can also help Mm -hmm. us to not fear what might happen or you know I I can say for myself I feel like there's a lot of mystery and even fear surrounding 
um, what is going to happen to my body and my sexuality as I age and um, just not a lot of role models or literature or platforms for me to have role models of what that might be like. Right. Ooh, you're speaking my language because I'm about to turn 30 in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and that is something that is coming up a lot for me right now about age and worth and um, death is coming up a lot in my life right now. And all of those things intertwined with my sexual identity. I mean, those are definitely things that I struggle with too. Like thinking about what is my body going to be changing into and how will those changes affect the way that I feel sexual and see myself as a sexual being. So I would, I would love to have conversations um, like that. And I don't know, I've, I've even played around with having my mom on the podcast again, because people seem to love her so much and her her story. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if she'll be into it, but, um, but I think she could potentially be a good guest. (laughs) Cool. I there's, well, there's one, well, I mean, there's so many things, right. But like the, the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot because it's very personal to me is like the topic of being demisexual, um, particularly like on the, the ACE, uh, scale, which was something that I, uh, I pretty recently started to identify as like realizing, especially as a non-monogamous person dating other people, I realized like, Oh wow, I'm the type of person that needs emotional connection and emotional intimacy with someone before I can have sex with them. And then realizing that it was like on the asexuality spectrum Mm. that like completely blew my mind. And it's, 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 it's given me a lot of things to think about and, you know, in in regards to identity and things like that. So I would love to have um, people who are on that asexuality spectrum um, on my podcast to talk more about that. And even like having more demisexuals come on too, because sometimes I feel like everyone is fucking and (laughs) I'm not doing that much fucking. And so it's nice to like, it's nice to, it would be nice to talk to some people that are like, yep, me too. I'm in the same boat and you know, we're normal. (laughs) I love that. And I, you know, I am fascinated by asexuality and really grateful to the asexual people in my life or the, the, asexual you know teachers or people who have platforms um in media right now because I find that it challenges some prejudices for me and I'm really glad to have had the opportunity to bring those up and maybe purge them a a little bit I've had to acknowledge a prejudice inside me that wants to say oh, well, you're just going through a phase or, oh, you just haven't found the right person. And I'm like, God, that's what like, that's what people say when they're harassing me on the street for being a dyke, you know, mm-hmm. that I, like, so yeah. like, and, and so, so I feel grateful to have had the opportunity to confront that prejudice and to realize also that there can be identities and communities that can confront and subvert even the ideas that I might think of as radical having to do with sexual identity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, another thing that I wanted to say about that, about what you were saying that sometimes you feel self-conscious that you're like not doing that much fucking, uh, or that there are, you are more aware of what circumstances you 
need or prefer in order to have sex or to have sex be a part of your life. I mean, I do think that it is really important for people who talk about sexuality to acknowledge that sometimes sex is less than ecstatic or less than transcendent and that, um, and to be able to talk about bad sex, like just, just, just bad sex, like a bad meal, you know, Um, like, which not, you know, not necessarily someone was doing something unethical or someone wasn't liberated, but just like, it was just, it was just bad. Like the chemistry was off, the mood was off, like, and um, being able to talk about that without shame. Cause sometimes I think Mm -hmm. that we like replicate the shame that is imposed on us on to ourselves or other people when we're not all having the like perfect Dionysian hedonistic, um, constant, never ending squirting orgies. <laughs> right. Like that would be amazing if it was like that all the time. I but mean, I think maybe also... it would be amazing, but also like, I don't know that I like, I like to do other things, you know, I like to read yeah. books, you know, I like to <laughs> ride, I like to ride my bike and, uh, you know, so, so uh, like I find, like, I, I think that the most important thing is, is everybody finding their own balance and not feeling like, oh God, what's wrong with me? Or is somebody going to revoke my sex positive card or my sex Burt card or my queer card or my mm-hmm. king card or my dominatrix card or what? Like, because I have not actually had much of a sex drive this week or this yeah. month, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I've definitely struggled with. Um, and I still struggle with too, to this day, because I think like we put people who have those kinds of sexual experiences on a pedestal, or at least like in my experience, those types of people were seen as like the, the fixed ones, you know, coming from a place of being raised as someone who was seen as broken, Mm. seeing these people who are having orgies and squirting and multiple orgasms and all kinds of fun and things like that. I mean, that just kind of, it drills, it drilled into my brain that like there is fixed and there is broken. And that's what, what fixed looks like. And so, um, I remember in the very early stages of doing the work that I do, I was going through a dry spell that was, um, I, I can't even remember what caused it necessarily. Like specifically, I know that it had to do with like mental health stuff, just feeling like just balancing like feelings of depression and, um, worry about the world and things like that. And I remember feeling like a fraud because I was like, mm. how on earth can I say that I am a teacher and that I am, and I'm an erotic being when I haven't had sex in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. like that made me feel really bad. And so, um, it, it wasn't until I was very transparent about it. And I said straight out, like, I'm having a dry spell. I haven't had sex in a, in a pretty long time for my standards. And I'm feeling kind of bad about that, that I realized that, you know, that I think that that's part of the sexual liberation process, too, is is being very open and honest about where you're at. Because like, I mean, it's not sustainable for us to be having sex, mm. like, an, ama- an amazing sex at that all the time, every yeah. single day, you yeah. know, so um, again, it just kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about like being able to meet people where they are and 
finding acceptance in that. And I think that for me, my own sexual liberation journey has been, you know, uphill, downhill, and, you know, some things in between. And I think it's important, no matter where I'm at in my per- personal cycle, like to just honor that and, and to still say, like, even in this, in this space, in this period of, of inactivity, I'm still a sexual being because no one can take that away from me. Hallelujah. I agree. Yeah. Well, we solved that one. <laughs> I, I feel great about it. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for bringing all of those things up. I mean, I think that um, you've brought up some pretty deep and challenging ideas. So it says to me that your coaching practice is taking people to a pretty deep place. Yeah. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. We're, it's funny. I, I feel like a lot of the people that, um, I've worked with, I think they imagine that the entire time that we're working together, we're going to be talking about sex and orgasm and how to have multiple orgasms and how to squirt and all those things. I mean, sure. We get on those subjects sometimes, but for the most part, my work looks like um, reconstructing or rather deconstructing beliefs that have kept these people from feeling sexually free, um, mm-hmm. that have kept them feeling super shamed. And a lot of those things go to body image. A lot of those mm-hmm. things go to self worth. And so like we have, I believe that we have to do that hard work first before we can get to the, the fun nitty, fun nitty gritty parts of, of being sexually liberated, which look like squirting and having multiple orgasms. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. Plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Evian, do you want to play the Why Are People Into That game? Yes, let's do it. The first question I'm going to ask is one that I have not actually discussed. I'm sure it's come up, but has not been discussed as a topic on this show ever. So, Mm. So no pressure. I would love to know what you think about why people are into crystals. Oh man, I'm laughing because it's, I feel like I'm going to be like dragging myself (laughs) as I answer this question. Please, Um, as you, as you wish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um, Why do I think people are into crystals? Well, a couple things. I think that, you know what, I'm not even going to speak generally here because I'm going to be transparent and I'm just going to answer from my own perspective because God damn it, I love crystals. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I also love um, crystals. I know they're so they're so pretty. So that's that's the first thing. They're they're pretty, yeah, right? And like, that's really valuable. Sh- I mean, not to interject, but I think that sometimes we 
we think that that is like a superficial thing, but obviously aesthetics and the way that things look and the relationship between the, the way that things look or appear and how that makes us feel has a huge role to play in sexuality and also that you can be attracted to things besides like another person's face like you can be attracted to objects or environments or anyway yes so I agree they're they're pretty so they're they're pretty they're shiny um, they like they have multi layers and levels of like iridescence and sparkle. I'm one of those people who grew up um, being really uh, interested in uh, pirates and this concept of like buried treasure oh, and yeah. <laughs> and so like um, so I feel like crystals in a lot of ways appeals to that child in me that's like very fascinated with like rubies and um emeralds and diamonds like things that I would never ever ever actually hold in my hand because I mean they're rubies emeralds and and diamonds like these are the closest things for me that I can get to feeling like I have a pirate's booty (laughs) (laughs) oh you said it so I didn't have to (laughs) (laughs) so like on that level yes I think that that there's something to that but like honestly too I think that um, beyond the beauty and beyond, uh, you know, just the eye candy of it. I mean, there is something very mystical about them. There's mm-hmm. something very cool and mysterious about having a rock or, or, or crystal, knowing that it came from the earth, which it's like, you look at these crystals and I mean, I mean, I look at these crystals and like, where on earth did these come from? Like they literally look like they rain down from heaven. And so like, there's a sense of like mystery to it. Um, and then, you know, thinking about the metaphysical properties, the healing properties of Mm. it. I mean, it just, as, as a witch, I just feel very called to things that I can touch things that I can like Mm. hold in my hand and use um, as like a healing modality because so much of my work is like through words or through intuition. It's so nice to be able to like hold something in my hand and know that it has a purpose for Mm. my body, for my mood. Um, and honestly, like I'll be straight up. I don't 100% believe that crystals work. Like, I'm not saying like, I don't believe in them. Like I'd say maybe I have 80% of me feels like crystals are legit. There's 20% of me that feels like, I think that they're just really pretty rocks. (laughs) Well, I Um, think that that amount of skepticism is healthy. And, um, and also maybe one of the things that's appealing about crystals is that they kind of welcome that level of, skepticism they're they're not fundamentalist um i'm sure (laughs) there are some fundamentalist crystal oh good lord especially uh, here in portland i believe you i believe you (laughs) they sort of beg a little bit of acknowledgement of their absurdity yeah i mean and if nothing else they're just they're really really fucking pretty to look at and they look great on a bookshelf you know so i mean if they don't work it doesn't even matter because they look great so that's my answer true and (laughs) and so how can crystals be sexy i'm not at all an expert on crystals but i do use them for my own sexual practices and one of my favorite uh companies 
that I support that creates sexual wellness uh, toys out of crystals is called shock rubs. Love them. And um, they're amazing. I mean, if we want to talk about beautiful crystals, I mean, these are gorgeous crystal dildos. I mean, that, that's exactly, I mean, they don't look, they're not, they don't look like a penis, but they are like, uh, yeah, they're, they're insertables. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, also called, uh, Yoni wands, but they're just gorgeous. They're absolutely beautiful. And so what I use, um, how I use them is, you know, you get a particular, crystal that corresponds with some kind of um, metaphysical healing property. So like, for instance, rose quartz is this really beautiful. Uh, it's like a like a soft pink crystal color. Mm, yeah. And um, it's just so beautiful. And basically, this crystal helps with self-love. It helps with um, self-care um, and all kinds of like really beautiful affirmations. And so it said that if this crystal can help with those things, um, like on the surface, imagine what it does for you internally, particularly on that sex chakra, right? Like mm -hmm. if we're going to get like a little woo woo with it, like think of all the things that you, uh, may have baggage around when it comes to sexual self-worth or, uh, sexual, like things that need sexual healing. So, the rose quartz would be a really great tool to kind of get right into the heart of that. Like mm. as you are pleasuring yourself with this tool, you are helping to reinstill and heal the parts of you that need, um, need sexual liberation or sexual love or, um, sexual acceptance. Um, and so, yeah, so you can use crystals like that. Like you can use them internally. Um, you can uh, put them on your nightstand while you're fucking and be able to like look at them and remind you of like their properties. Um, there's all kinds of things that you can do. It's like it's it's like sex magic, you know? Well, absolutely. And I think uh, I'm love. I'm just imagining my listeners. I feel like there's there's probably like a very healthy portion of my listeners that are like, yes, they're finally talking about crystals. And then there's probably a healthy <laughs> portion of my listeners who are like, Tina's gone off the deep end, but I love, I love all of you. I love all of you and everyone in between. I really think that even if a crystal is just a pretty rock, um, that what you said about sex magic is really true in the sense that, you know, not, I don't want to say that it can be like a placebo, but more like if your intention, magic is all about intention, right? So if your intention is to heal yourself from sexual trauma or to heal yourself from a more minor uh, sexual hang up or block or a dry spell, like we were talking about earlier, and you use either a, a chakra uh, product or just a crystal that you get at your local crystal retailer and you <laughs> infuse it with that intention that focus that energy and then then really it's just sort of like a a receptacle um, for you to focus on healing yourself 
and yeah. and and is there as a you know as a talisman or like as a reminder that you care about healing yourself or um you know if your intention is to use it to have a different kind of orgasm or to have stronger orgasms or to have orgasms at all or to create a deeper bond with a partner or a deeper bond with yourself that even if just looking at it is a reminder of the fact that you care about that then it's effective and that's magic yeah and what a great gesture toward putting yourself and your sexuality on a like as a priority, you know, because for so many people, we don't do that. We don't take time to think about the things that need to be healed in, in us sexually. We don't take the time to actually do that deep work. And so I say if a crystal, <laughs> if a beautiful rock is going to get you thinking about those things, I mean, there's really no harm in that. Agreed. Okay, well, thank you for going on that crystal <laughs> ship with me. <laughs> um, uh, and so my next question for you is, why are people into polyamory? Now, this is a huge topic. But, oh, but what yes, do you think? Is. What what is? But what is hot about being polyamorous? Well, um, you get to date and fuck and make out with a lot of people, there's, there's one thing, if you're lucky, I mean, sometimes that it doesn't happen quite as easily as that. Um, but you get to experience and explore other people, other people's bodies, um, other people's kinks and interests. I'll speak also personally, because I, I wouldn't call myself polyamorous, because mm -hmm. polyamorous, it, it describes someone who has multiple romantic relationships with other people. Right. And I'm not there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm in an open relationship. I'm currently uh, dating and um, hoping to meet someone that kind of goes in that direction. But alas, it has not. Um, but the one thing I will say that is hot to me about non-monogamy is the amount of work that has to be done in order for you to feel 100% secure and confident enough to practice non-monogamy. Mm -hmm. So when me and my husband started talking about opening up, we had to do a lot of deep diving and a lot of fucking hard work to get to a point where we felt confident and secure enough to actually go on a date with someone. And that looked like really hard conversations about jealousy. And mm -hmm. that looked like really closely examining the lessons and the falsehoods that were given to us mm. about fidelity and sex and love and marriage um, that were passed on to us by our parents um, and by church and, and other, you know, systems of, uh, of oppression, I guess. <laughs> Word. Hey, again, you said it, not me, but uh, yeah. Um, and so for me, doing that deep work and, and, and that process of being honest with yourself in that way and, and being self-aware, I mean, that to me is really sexy, you know, being able to be vulnerable mm. um, and to like examine yourself in these areas that are very raw and um, there's a lot of taboo attached to them. I mean, I remember the first couple conversations I had 
with my partner about jealousy, I mean, it was really brutal. It was very, very difficult for us to really sit down and talk about it. And we got into kinds of fights and all kinds of stuff was coming up for me that I never even considered like old traumas, old relationships. Um, it was really, really dirty and kind of yucky. But after we got out of that, it was so good to be able to look back and say, wow, we, we moved through that hump and now our relationship is stronger for it. Now we have more trust. Now I feel like I can move on from that baggage and create a new story, a new story about relationships, a new story about sex, love, all of those things. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with the bullshit that I was taught and have been carrying for so long. Well, that is a wonderful endorsement of non-monogamy, that it's not (laughs) just about variety being the spice of life, although that certainly can be a motivator and a benefit, but also that it's sexy because of the vulnerability that it demands and the communication that it facilitates the different kind of connection that it requires. Yeah. Cool. And it's not for everyone, you know, I mean, just like, just like non-monogamy isn't for everyone. Monogamy isn't for everyone. And I think it's important for us to think about the ways that we were, um, I don't know, socialized uh, to believe that this is the way that relationships have to be. And if you do that deep work and you have these really hard and amazing conversations with your partner and you realize like, no, actually monogamy is pretty good. Like, I'm glad we had these conversations, but I'm good. I'm good with monogamy. That's totally fine. I mean, I, I, I'm a huge proponent of people doing what they feel is best for them in their relationships and relationships are all unique and different. So if someone wants to be monogamous, I mean, I have no problem with that, but I also think that it's important that we think about, um, the ways that we were conditioned to think about relationships. And for a lot of us, for most of us, we were raised in monogamous households with this understanding that true love is a fidelitous love mm. and true love and real love is, is forever and only one person. And, you know, you only have sex with one person for the rest of your life. That's what it means to be in real love. And um, I think it's important that we closely examine those things and then decide if we want to continue subscribing to them. Here, here. <laughs> okay, I have a few more topics. Uh, this one I think is going to be in your wheelhouse. Why are people into masturbation? Oh my gosh, why not? It's I mean, so fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why not? My goodness. I mean, well, like, I think masturbation is like the, the best and safe sex that anyone can have. That's true. Um, and it's, it's an important part of understanding who you are as a sexual being, the relationship that you have with yourself sexually solo. Um, I I think especially being raised in a, in a society and a culture that tells women that men have the keys to activate your sexuality. I mean, masturbation is a huge fuck you to that, you know, especially it's kind of gay. Masturbation is kind of gay, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right. And and it also, it it puts the power into your hands. It it tells you like, 
you don't need anyone to find sexual satisfaction. Um, you don't need anyone to, to get you, to get you off. Like, you know, your body better than anyone else. And I mean, that's, that's radical. It's a radical act of, of self-love in that way. So, um, and you know, there are some people, I met some, some people who are like, masturbation is just not my thing. I don't really like it. And that's totally fair. Um, but for the people who do like masturbation for the people who are into it, I mean, I, I imagine they're into it because, um, because of the, the intimacy that is created between them and themselves and the way that they're able to, to know themselves and to explore their bodies, perhaps in ways that like they can't explore their bodies with other partners. Yeah. I think that there's a myth that people who masturbate more, I think this myth particularly is attached to cis men that if men masturbate more, that they're not as good at sex. Um, Mm. And that, or that, like, sex is a zero-sum game. Like, either you're you're giving your sexual energy to yourself or you're giving it to your partner, but you can't, mm-hmm. but, like, one can't enrich the other. And um, that's just patently untrue. Right. Yeah. I think that people who masturbate more generally are better at sex and certainly come but you know know how to make themselves come and different different ways to make themselves come and and also it's I mean they're literally muscles I mean it's not just like figuratively it's like exercising I mean you have pelvic floor muscles like you have you know you're like keeping in shape right right and when you have that information about yourself that thing those are things that you can convey to your partner later, you know, I mean, you can, you can sit down with your partner and let them know, like, this is how I like to be touched. This is what my orgasm is like. This is what my orgasm needs, um, in order for it to feel safe to come out and play. I mean, masturbation is one of the best ways for you to be able to find that sexual information about yourself. I mean, you can do it with a partner, but I mean, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's fun and it's safer. Um, and by safer, I don't necessarily mean safe against like, STIs or whatever but also just like you feel more secure doing it by yourself I mean that's also true like I don't think anybody ever got knocked up masturbating (laughs) right right I think that also sometimes if, if you masturbate and you realize that not every time that you sexually stimulate yourself is going to result in orgasm or the same kind of orgasm that Mm -hmm. you're less likely to blame your partner or your sex life for the variations in your orgasm, right? If you realize that that sex can be about sensuality or um, or that there are like a million ways to feel good besides coming um, and to not be so goal-oriented. And it can be a lot easier to establish that with yourself because there is no pressure to please someone else or perform for someone else or exactly. or to let someone else please you um so so yeah come don't exactly. come whatever jerking off is yeah the best. <laughs> okay last one and this is based on your most recent blog post as of this recording 
why are people into sex parties? Oh, oh and another one where it's like, why not? Yeah. It's <laughs> so fun. Um, so I, I, even though I went to my first sex party a few weeks ago, I still feel like I'm, I'm a sex party noob. I still feel like I could go a few more times and kind of get a feel of how I really am because the first time I was nervous and I was very self-conscious thinking about like, I don't know what to do and is it okay for me to watch and like all of these things. So yeah, there are um, an enormous amount of very strong social taboos against the things that are inherent to a sex party, whether it's voyeurism and exhibitionism, like just being in the same room as other people, you know, the variations in sexuality that you are, that you are witnessing, um, you know, people organizing their own sexual cultures and systems, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of taboo against all of those things. And uh, even if you, I mean, even if you're used to it, I mean, I can say having been to quite a lot, like the intensity of people getting together to confront that taboo, I don't think ever goes away. Like even if being in the same room as other people having sex, like feels a little bit like, oh yeah, it's Saturday. Um, to you, like <laughs> uh, it, th- that, that taboo is so strong and so ingrained that it never loses its frisson. That is really good for me to know because I was under the impression that, you know, after you go to seven of these, it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm in the room and there's someone being fisted over there while I'm eating my pastry. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And I think I think maybe that is true for some people that they're able to, you know, go to a sex party and have it not be a big deal. I think for me, because of how much sexual shame I grew up with and all of the taboos that I grew up with associated with sex and sexuality. I think it's true that it's, I will probably always have those voices in the back of my mind and, and will be grappling with, I guess, those demons. Um, because it is, I mean, it is really fucking radical. Like yeah. being in a room of people who are having sex with each other and, sharing the space with each other and watching porn together. I mean, Mm. it's, it's so vastly different from the way that I pictured sex would be, especially raised in a religious household that told me sex is between one man and one woman. Mm. So, um, so, but I I will say that I had an amazing time. Uh, it was so much fun. And I, I think people are into sex parties because of that. I think, I also think that, you know, there, there is, um, there is a desire to want to subvert those taboos and being at a sex party is a really great opportunity for you to do that. I mean, whether or not you participate or not, I mean, I didn't really do that much participation, but even even in the act of being there, even in the act of putting it in my calendar and saying, I am going to this thing. I mean, it really felt like I was working through and and healing a lot of the things that I was brought up about sex and sexuality, which is huge. Well, I always remind people that voyeurism is participation at a sex party and that exhibi- mm. exhibitionists are nothing without voyeurs. So, um, True. so, and, you know, because it's a space that, facilitates a certain culture of 
the dynamic of voyeurism and exhibitionism, um, even though it can feel taboo busting and uncomfortable or confusing, like usually sex parties have a lot of guidance for like what is ethical voyeurism and what is not. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think that a lot of people feel, I mean, I have spoken about this before. Uh, the first couple of times that I went to sex parties, I deliberately participated. I mean, I like deliberately found people to have sex with almost out of a sense of, um, like I felt like, oh no, this, the door, this portal is going to close and, and people are going to realize that I'm not actually cool enough to be here. So I definitely need to have sex, grab someone and have sex with them. Anybody who wants to have sex with me because, <laughs> because I need to just, I need to feel li like that I'm participating in this or that I like, that is what it means to come to a sex party. And I'm really glad to be at a point now where I actually sometimes do just enjoy going to a party and eating a pastry I mean mm. and just being around other people who are at so many different points you know some people who have been doing it for literally decades other people who are maybe at their first party and all of that energy together like that is an ecstatic place to be and yeah. um and you know, very much in line with what we've been talking about, being honest with myself about what I actually want. And, you know, uh, if I meet someone that I have chemistry with to play in a certain way or to fuck in a certain way, I'm open to that. And if I don't meet that person, I'm not going to like shoehorn an experience in just to like check a box. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you were describing like, how I wanted to be on the first time, like wanting to find someone to have sex with just so I can say, I did it. I lived, I lived it to the fullest because like, why else would you go to a sex party if you're not having sex with anyone? And so I probably would have been a little bit more assertive in meeting that quote unquote goal if I hadn't been so shy. <laughs> um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, um, there, there's certainly levels to participating um, in being in a sex party. And I mean, that, that is something that I'm still learning. Cause like I said, I'm still a newbie, but also I there are lots of, there are lots of shy people at sex parties. And so, again, there are shy newbies and there are shy people who have been to a million sex parties. Like mm -hmm. being, going to a million sex parties does not make you less shy necessarily. Right. So feel comfortable in your shyness <laughs> also sh I will try. shyness is sexy yeah you know I'm sure there are people who at these parties who are picking up on your shy scent and just dying to corrupt you <laughs> oh yes please corrupt me that's what I want that's what I need <laughs> you should make a corrupt me shirt and wear it to your next orgy. I should Oh my gosh, you are giving me ideas. Awesome. I'm going to do it. Or maybe even just like a like a subtle necklace, like find some artisan on Etsy who does like custom yes. necklaces and get like a oh. nice like little like gold necklace or like, I don't know, a crystal necklace that says corrupt me, please. Oh my gosh, this might have to be my 30th birthday present because I'm entering my dirty 30s and yes. I feel like me a corrupt me necklace would be a perfect gift for that fantastic well if somebody wants to send you a dirty 30 present of any kind or shape or form uh where how can they can you reiterate how they would find you on the internet yeah they can find me on my blog sexloveliberation.com uh and if you click the contact button on there you'll be able to uh 
find me in other spaces like Facebook and um, uh, Instagram. Um, and my email is also there too. So you can uh, contact me personally and we can chat about how you can get me my corrupt me necklace to me. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, Evian, it has been such a pleasure talking to you, and I hope that our travels will bring us uh, together in the flesh one day. Um, but oh, thank likewise. you, thank you so much for podcasting with me, and I'm going to be on the lookout for uh, everything that you're up to. Thank you, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for supporting me and my work. It means a lot. No worries. I'll talk to you soon. Vacation. Locations of Interrobang is produced and hosted by yours truly, Tina Hoy. Our theme music is by my brother from another mother, Moot. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.